It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, March 17, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A trial date has been set for a murder case in Sitka, and the defendant pleaded not guilty when he was arraigned last week. Patrick O'Brien faces first- and second-degree murder charges following the death of his father in late February. On the night of February 14th, 28-year-old O'Brien was arrested and charged with assault for attacking his father on Cassiana Island. His father, 63-year-old James O'Brien Jr., was medevaced to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle after sustaining head and facial fractures. According to a probable cause statement, Patrick O'Brien's blood alcohol level was nearly double the legal limit for driving. O'Brien was originally indicted on one felony count of attempted murder in the first degree, felony counts of assault in the first and third degrees, one felony count of misconduct involving weapons in the fourth degree, and interfering with a report of a crime involving domestic violence. Following the death of his father and a subsequent autopsy, he was indicted on charges for murder in the first and second degrees. A trial is scheduled for July 6th. Interest in kelp farming has been building in Alaska since the state's first commercial harvest in 2017, but there's still only a handful of farms producing a commercial crop. As Aaron McKinstry reports for Alaska's Energy Desk, mariculture advocates say that it's not easy building an industry from scratch or a market for it. For years, Brett Bradford has lived the seasonal rhythm of a commercial fisherman. He spends summers gillnetting salmon out of Cordova, and in the winter, he looks for odd jobs around town. When a friend asked if he wanted to spend the winters growing kelp instead, he saw an opportunity for stable year-round work. I thought, man, how hard could it be to grow kelp? (laughs) Bradford already has a boat and knowledge of the water, and the timing is perfect. Kelp farmers plant seeds in the fall and harvest them in the spring, just before fishing season. But jumping into an industry still in its infancy isn't without its challenges. And for me personally, the biggest challenge of anything that I undertake is dealing with the bureaucracy. Before they can put lines in the water, kelp farmers have to apply for state and federal permits, which include opportunities for public comment. The whole process can take up to two years and a lot of money, time, and expertise that fishermen like Bradford may not have, which is why he joined a collective of aspiring kelp farmers in Prince William Sound called Blue Wave Futures. Lawyer and fisherman Joe Arvidson handled the permitting process for all seven farms. And I had no idea what to do, and either did they. And so um, I just jumped right into it. In many ways, Blue Wave Futures is still just an idea. Only about half the farms are permitted, and none of them have kelp in the water for a commercial harvest. But they are trying to lay the groundwork for a stable industry in the region, answering questions like where they'll get seed, where kelp grows best, and most importantly, who will buy their harvest. Uh, We don't want to grow a bunch of kelp that we can't sell, that we don't have markets for, we don't have product development, or even pilot projects that we can use it for to work on. Since the state government established a mariculture task force in 2016, the group has been working to grow a shellfish and seaweed farming industry that makes $100 million a year. But that goal is still a long ways off. Aquaculture sales totaled just $1.4 million in 2019. The interest in kelp farming is there. Lease applications nearly doubled last year, and a recent training by the Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation and other partners attracted hundreds of participants. But the infrastructure is still being built, says the foundation's executive director, Julie Decker. None of this is uh, falling off log. It's not simple. 
Um, and so people that are interested should be prepared for challenges. You know, whenever you're doing something new, it's not necessarily all outlined and cookie cutter off the shelf. Decker says one big hurdle is finding buyers for kelp. Blue Wave Futures wants to sell much of their harvest to Matsu farmers for fertilizer. Alaska researchers are also looking at using kelp in biofuel. And Decker says they're even hoping to attract a plant to the state to manufacture kelp-based plastics. It could really open up the demand for, for farm seaweed, and which would allow for a lot more people to get involved with the industry and know for sure that they had a market. Seagrove kelp off southeast Alaska's Prince of Wales Island is one of just four farms that produced a commercial harvest in the state in 2019. Founder Marco Scheer says some of their product goes into non-consumables like pet food and fertilizer. But they also sell to companies like Juno's Barnacle Foods, which makes a line of trendy kelp-based products like hot sauces and pickles. This is the farm's second year growing commercially, and they have faced their share of challenges. Last year, herring spawned on some of their kelp, which delayed harvesting and reduced its quality. You know, you, you come in with an expectation, hey, if we do this, it's going to work this way. And, and then most often we're not entirely right and we've got to change that and you say, well, this, this worked and this didn't. And, and uh, there's a bit of trial and error in the process. But overall, business is going well. They've put in applications to add new sites to the roughly 41-acre farm. Sheer hopes expanding will help reach new markets. You know, if we get it, the industry to the size that it needs to be, it'll be, you know, it, it's going to be a pillar of the economy for the next hundred years. Sheer, like other seaweed enthusiasts, sees kelp as an answer to problems both economic and environmental. But whether it will in fact fuel a billion-dollar mariculture industry in Alaska is still unknown. For Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Erin McKinstry in Sitka. All Alaskans 16 and older are now eligible for the COVID-19 vaccines. But there's limited vaccine testing data on pregnant women. So even though they can get vaccinated, many Alaskan women are wrestling with the question of whether or not they should. KTOO's Claire Strample reports. Pregnant women are considered at high risk for serious medical complications from COVID-19. But the vaccines haven't been tested on pregnant women because they're a vulnerable population. It's kind of a catch-22, and it's the reason some moms-to-be are hesitant to get the shot. It's a risk either way. It's, it's not a fun position to be in, I will tell you. Mackenzie Rose had only known she was pregnant for two days when she got the call that said there were extra vaccine doses in Anchorage if she moved fast. She got in the car and got the shot. She had thought about that decision before. She'd talked to friends and doctors about the vaccine while she was trying to conceive. But she says she still doubts that choice sometimes. Yeah, everyone is saying, well, just make your own decision. Um, but it's really, it's really hard to make your own decision because you care so much about the health of your, of your kid, of your unborn child. Rose also has a two-year-old at home. I don't want anything to happen to me that's going to, you know, I, I just feel like nothing can happen to me right now. Like I have a kid I have to take care of. Um, it's, a, it's a doozy. It's a really hard decision. She's been fully vaccinated now for about two weeks. Her recent ultrasound came out normal and healthy, with a strong heartbeat. She says she'd make the same decision again, but the uncertainty is hard. She wanted a clear green light from a medical professional, and it just wasn't coming. 
Dr. Emily Rosenfeld is an OBGYN in Juneau. It's a little bit of a tricky subject. There's not a really good, straightforward answer (laughs) about that. She says she talks her patients through their risk level to help them make a choice. Things like pre-existing conditions and what their occupation is. But she doesn't feel comfortable making recommendations. So it kind of becomes more of a um, kind of benefit um, risk Uh, conversation with the patient. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are tracking the pregnancies of about 2,000 women who have been vaccinated for COVID-19. Of those, 275 have given birth. It's a really small sample size, but CDC says there haven't been any issues. That stands out for nurse consultant Cheryl Holtzhauser. She's worked for the state's health department in the maternal and child health division since the 1970s. I have a favorite niece, and she asked me this question because she is six weeks pregnant. Holtzhauser told her to get the shot. We, we don't have any um, evidence of that would cause us to be hesitant or, or have concern, but we certainly have information more and more that's telling us that pregnant women are at high risk. Holtzhauser says there's a good reason pregnant women are typically left out of clinical trials they are more vulnerable. But for her, the reward outweighs the risk when it comes to the vaccine. Pregnant women who get COVID-19 are more likely to need intensive care or get put on a ventilator than their non-pregnant peers. In certain age groups, they are twice as likely to die. Holtzhauser says she's also concerned that severe illness could result in problems for the baby, like preterm birth. Multiple national women's organizations say it's unethical to withhold vaccines from pregnant or lactating women, even though safety data is lacking. Mackenzie Rose, the pregnant woman with the toddler at home, says for her, it was a crash course in risk assessment. I mean, for me, it, it, I think for a lot of women, it just it feels really high stakes because it is high stakes. It's your it's your kid. I talked to a number of women who didn't want to speak on the record. It was too personal but they were opting out of the vaccine. The state of Alaska doesn't track pregnant women who get the vaccine, so we don't know how many have gotten it. But women can choose to self-report to the CDC, and more than 30,000 women in the nation have done that. For KTOO, I'm Claire Strimple. Just a quick note to say that Mackenzie Rose, featured in that story, is a former Raven Radio employee, and she currently works for Coast Alaska, our public media collaborative. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is Morning.